Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with Junior Renee Bobrun. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you are a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing conversation that is now in its 75th episode. Wow. And um, if you're a returning listener, of course, you know, once again, thank you for your patronage. Thank you for your loyalty. Thank you for lending me your ears. I know that every single time I crack this mic and I press record, that it's my duty to earn your attention again. It's not something that I feel entitled to. It's something that I know that each and every time that I, I, I press record and I press submit and I submit an episode, that what I'm saying is I think I've done something to earn your attention and earn your trust once again. You may not agree. We can agree to disagree. You can uh, disagree with me and send me emails and counter my conversations, but understand that I just want to convey to all of you out there that when you hear me speaking, I'm not speaking from a place of division or a place of derision. It's a place where we can open up our thoughts and our minds to a longer conversation and, and possibly a broader conversation. And it's meant to provoke because I'm by nature provocative. I'm not a provocateur, but I notice that my perspective oftentimes by default sort of leans towards a perspective that may not be predominant in the zeitgeist that people are comfortable with, but that's okay. But in any case, you know, it's what we do. Um, like I said, if you do have any questions, concerns, kudos, or business inquiries, uh, definitely email me at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. That's whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. My Instagram for the page or for the uh, the actual show's Instagram is whoseworldisthis2021. So you can direct message me. You can uh, uh, send me anything, you know, whether you want to email me, if you're more comfortable with that, email me. If you're comfortable online, Instagram, and you have an Instagram page, for sure, follow the page. You know, I'm going to update it more. I actually updated it a little bit in the last couple of days. I just put pretty much a screenshot of previous episodes, updating it. Um, I'm at episode 75 right now, but the Instagram page is on episode, I think, 50-something, 5-something. So, yeah, just to let you know, I've done about 20 episodes without, you know, uh, updating that page. But I'm in the process of doing that now. So I'm probably going to post two episodes or at least two episode screenshots on Instagram per day. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you guys again for the cash apps. Dollar sign J-U-N-B-E-A-U. -E that's a dollar sign June Bow cash app. Thank you for the Venmos. That's June Bow J-U-N-B-E-A-U. Thank you guys for uh, <clears throat> checking out ChavezHouse.com, the publisher, one of the sponsors of this show, ChavezHouse.com. That's Chavez with an S. If you're looking for journals, personal writing diaries, uh, day and night journal prompts, type up, uh, fitness logs, decorative notebooks, how-to books, how to self-publish your first book, your, your books, all of that is on ChavezHouse.com. You can definitely go to Chavez House Publishing on Amazon. Remember, that's Chavez with an S, okay? And go to Chavez House Publishing on Amazon and look for the Lenore Batista books, all the books published by Lenore Batista or authored by Lenore Batista. And whatever is authored by Lenore Batista is our stuff, okay? 
Check it out. Check out our sponsor. Give them some love. Tell them June sent you. Those books aren't only good, but they're good for you. What are we going to talk about today? Last episode was a little mini rant. Just felt something that I needed to get off my chest. For the record, um, I called it S-O-N-Y, which stands for Shame on New York, S-O-N-Y. And it was pretty much my um, disappointment in New York's reaction to the massive shutdowns that have pretty much crippled many, many uh, different sectors of that city. I know that personally because I'm from New York City. Uh, I have mo- most of my family is in New York. I would argue that m- all of my family is still in New York in the Northeast, that the only people that aren't there are my immediate family, which are in Florida. My immediate family are in Florida, but you know I do have a couple of, like my father is still in New York, and most of my father's side is still in New York and New Jersey, and everybody else, childhood friends, high school friends, uh, college friends, they're still in, you know, and they, they're just leaving now. And I spoke about that briefly. We're going to talk about that later. But what I do want to talk about today, actually, we're going to, it, it kind of interrelates. I just realized something that that kind of, kind of weaves into each other. I've said on many different episodes that if you pull the string of each episode, you will see that there is a pattern. And so anyone who's interested in working with me or learning more about me, go back and listen to these episodes. You'll get an idea. You won't know when I'm playing devil's advocate and you won't know when I'm actually in belief of what I'm saying or I'm advocating what I'm saying. But either way, you're going to see someone who actually has a decent idea of what the goings on goings on and someone who at least attempts balance. I don't look to be balanced to not offend. I don't do that. Because if it's offensive to you, that's fine. If you if you are angered by the things I'm saying, I, I'm I'm okay with that. That that is a, so. I'm not looking for consensus. I'm not looking for balance for consensus for acceptance for applause. No, I, I, for access. No, this is balance. Saying, hey, listen, if we're gonna have that, we're also gonna have their 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 counterplays and interplays and interconnectivities that have to be addressed. Right? My ear is itching. Okay. Uh, so that's why, so, um, certain things I speak about, you know, have a counterbalance to them too. I'll say something one episode and then I'll counter that the next episode. And some people are like, wow, the other episode he, I was with him and now he's went in a completely different direction. Yeah. Guess what? You know, when you're holding a wheel steady on the road, your, your hands are still moving, right? To keep a car going straight, you think you're going straight, but to stay straight on the road, there are a series of turns and adjustments that have to be made to go straight. It's the same in, in, in being an intellectual. It's the same with having ideas and perspectives. Your perspectives, you're trying to find this linear, this linearity to your, to your perspectives, but yet it, it does take some turns. It goes down different roads and pathways. Every once in a while, you might have to make a U-turn Go check your, 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 your directions, check your map again and say, hey, am I going in the right direction? I need to reassess. Ah, happens. Anyway, speaking about New York, speaking about all of that and, and, and um, shutdowns and uh, all of these things, I remember a couple of years ago, if we want to rewind a couple of years ago, um, when the BLM movement first started 
making its way into the American consciousness. I would, that was right around, I think, Barack Obama's administration. I don't remember the exact date or year, but I, re, I think it was in his first term going into his second term. <clears throat> I don't know if it started with Trayvon Martin's killing, murder by George Zimmerman out there in Florida. Um, George Zimmerman, who's still walking the streets till today. Mm, that's interesting. But, you know, in any case, um, uh, maybe around then. And I remember um, I heard of the Black Lives Matter movements and, and, and people were asking me my thoughts on it. And upon a very cursory and brief uh, just investigation on them, just me just going, hey, who are these guys? Who are the founders? And what I found was disturbing to me um, that an organization as grassroots as they were all of a sudden was risen to prominence. The media all of a sudden latched on to their name and the, 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 um, the myth of the urban legend was that it started off as some sort of hashtag and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it quote unquote took off. And I didn't buy that because I what I know about viral marketing and things of that nature for many people who do that and are successful at it. Um, that's, that's nice. It's, it's romantic, but oftentimes it's inaccurate that these things just go quote unquote viral without some sort of money or push or agenda behind it. Things don't just go viral. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when I saw them ra r rise to prominence in, in, with the immediacy and with the speed that they did, I, you know, I was a bit skeptical of their authenticity as a movement that was for uh, people of African origins in America and, and maybe whatever injustice and marginalization that they were facing, that this was the group that was going to be a legitimate advocate for them. I, I was skeptic about that. Skeptical. So when I looked them up, let, let's just say my, my suspicions were proven founded. These were not unfounded suspicions. Um, so I said, heh. So when people asked me, I said, be careful who you vote for, be careful what you wish for, and be careful who you follow. I, for one, I am not an advocate 100% of BLM. I said that then. I say that today. Never was, never will be. Not in its present form, not in its past carnation, incarnation, and its present incarnation. No, not even a little bit. I don't follow the phraseology, the ideology, the, the, the founders, the chapters or anything. And so recent years, people asked me, well, not recent years, people pushed back at me like, well, who do you follow and what, what, what do you listen to and, and who, who are your such and such? Because the people of today... You know, the millennials, you know, wanted something to get behind. So I had cousins in my in their teens and early, early 20s and, you know, who f who really hung on a lot of the words that I said and, and were, were 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 significantly influenced by me and things that I've said to them in the past. And they asked me, they said, hey, here we are. You know, um, they're of a certain generation. Here they are. These these people were born when like, um, you know. They're generation, whatever, Z, you know, they're ni 97, you know, uh, not even 97. Yeah, like 2000, 
you know? So my cousins who are now reaching their 20s and are now college graduates and things like that, they were born in 2000, they're part of that Generation Z, and they're asking me, well, who to, who to follow? I said, the people, I, and then I said something, and I didn't realize how important what I said was at the time, and I feel now is the time more than ever to, more than ever to say this statement. I said to my cousins who are in their 20s right now, I said, you have no giants. And they were like, what do you mean? I said, I, f I stand, when people say that I'm intelligent, and people say, hey, Junior, you, you, you're kind of smart, or, or whatever the case, or you're intelligent, I tell them, I do not have a thimble full of the intelligence. I do not, you, I, my intelligence is a thimble full, a, 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 uh, a whiskey cap full of intelligence in comparison to my elders and my teachers. And when I say my teachers, I do not mean anyone that taught me in an academic perspective. None of my school teachers that spoke to me directly. I'm speaking about the authors, I'm speaking about the activists, and I'm speaking about the scholars that I followed. I said, I am, n I am a tiny, tiny baby hanging onto their shoulders as they walk through the playground with me. That's who I am. I stand on the shoulders of giants, and even where I'm, even with my perspective, I can't see as far as they've seen. And so I told my cousins, I said, listen, I gave you the books. If you keep asking me who I follow, it's the same old guys and old gals that I've been following from back then and they were like well who and then i realized something i said yo you guys don't have any heroes and when i said heroes you're looking for people that are close to your age group possibly to sort of lead you what you don't what you haven't figured out yet is and it's unfortunate is that none of them are equipped they're not intellectually equipped they're not ideologically equipped and they're not morally equipped the people that you are following are compromised. At their very best, they're compromised. And at their worst, they're corrupted. And, and, and another thing, they're not as intelligent as the giants of yesteryear. And then I tried to look and I was dissecting this generation. I was trying to find like the millennial version of a Malcolm X. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, you know, I literally just went. And I was like, hey, let me let me find somebody that's of that ilk of this generation that was born, let's say, um, you know, after 1980, 1985, you know, because that's considered sort of the uh, what would that be considered like generation Y sort of that generation, you know, millennial. So the millennial is born around 1980, 1981, right around that time. And I think that, you know, about the millennials are 1981 to about 1996. So I was looking for the millennial version of a Martin Luther King. The millennial version of a Malcolm X. The millennial version of a, a, a Bobby Seale, who was the, one of the co-founders of the Black Panther Party. Brilliant man, by the way. Huey P. Newton gets a lot of credit for you know, being the face and the, at least the voice of the Panthers. But Bobby Seale, to a great degree, was the mind you know, behind the scenes. Bobby Seale is a man that I greatly admire, and I'm not afraid to say that. Um, many people are, you know, but anyway. So I thought about that for a moment, and I was looking, and I was looking, and I was looking, and I was like, yo, you guys got to remember, 
MLK, all of these men died. MLK died in his 30s. Was he 39? And Malcolm X, I think, died around 39 as well. These men died as young men. So I was looking for the under 40, um, you know, counterpart to the to these men, because these men weren't didn't, you know, grow old. These men that I'm speaking about didn't get to see a healthy old age. You know, the Medgar Everses, the James Baldwins, the, 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 the Marcus. So I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to do a little timeline. I'm going to try to find. And I researched. I looked. I listened to all of these new cast of characters that are out there. Heading movements, articulating this new diversity agenda, diversity inclusion and equity, uh, D.I.E., uh, this new intersectionality, this gender binary, gender fluidity, et cetera, et cetera, which, I, which if that's what your thing is, that's fine. What I'm saying is I was looking for the actual intellectual, ideological, moral counterpart to a Malcolm. Could this person compare to where the giants of yesteryear? And guess what I found? I couldn't find one. I couldn't find one. And that wasn't because of my bias. I went and I listened to interviews that these so-called, and I'm not going to mention them by name. I'm not going to mention the ones who fall short. I'm not going to deride them, okay? What I am going to say is it's not because I thought that they didn't hold up. I listened to their arguments because we're still having the same old arguments in 2022 that we were having in 1962. So it's easy to juxtapose what's going on in 2022 with what was going on in 1952, 62, 42 in the United States of America. It's the same call and response, same protests, same things are burning, same cities, cop shot the kid, you know, he was unarmed. Okay, we now we have a camera. Oh, wow, they're choking him. This is, I mean, go check your newspaper in 1962, and it's, it's filled with the same thing. Check your Amsterdam news, check your, your black press or your brown press in the United States, and you will see the exact same conversations that were being had then are the exact same conversations we're having now. U.S. v. Russia. So here I am in, in, in March of 2022, and... I'm looking around and I'm matter of fact, I've been doing this for a couple of years, actually. But I'm like, OK, let me see how this person handled this line of questioning by this, you know, detractor or this uh, 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 opponent of their p point of view. Let's see how they handled it. And it was the same cookie cutter, box cutter responses that Mike Wallace had to Louis Farrakhan or this one had to Malcolm or this one had to James Baldwin. And the way James Baldwin handled it and eviscerated his detractors, the way Malcolm X handled it and eviscerated his opponents or Harry Belafonte. I mean, the men of the 50s, 60s and 70s were able to do a number on their detractors. You would have thought that those boiler, those those cookie cutter boilerplate uh, 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 um, um, responses or boilerplate criticisms would have been thrown out. And you would have thought that the contemporary activist, the contemporary scholar, the contemporary author on social issues and author on this one and that one, the vanguards of this new millennial sort of uh, activism, 
would have taken the responses from the Malcolms, the Bobbies, the Kathleen Cleavers, the Ida B. Wellses and everyone else and said, oh, if they ask me such and such, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to say. Because I notice how people, every time something's going on in the world, people are sending me old, uh, what do you call it, uh, quotes from from uh, 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 old guys from back in the days. I'm like, wow, isn't this interesting that we can't find quotes from people from right now, that we're using the, the vision and the prescience of people who were born a long, long time ago. So I did a timeline and I realized something. The millennials don't have any heroes, truly, to really believe in in their age group. You, know, you have that Greta Thunberg, that girl who's doing the climate change thing, and, and I find her to be effective. I find her to be formidable. And I find her cause, I find her, I'm, I admire her, her drive, her convictions, her intellect. I do. But outside of that realm, and I listen to these, these and this is why the Democratic Party or people on the left are losing so many members. Their argument isn't as strong as the argument of yesteryear. It has too many holes, too many contradictions, too many false narratives and dogmas. So it's easy for someone to go red-pilling. What red-pilling means, it's easy for someone to go and, and sit on the right right now. Many people, you know how many recruits the left had during the civil rights movements and the anti-war movements, et cetera, et cetera. And nowadays, the left is losing its luster because people are saying, hey, well, what about this? And the left will go, because the left doesn't have an intellectual response. Here we have a new term, cancel culture. Oh, Canceling people means that you do not have an intellectual response to some of the things and the and the to your critics. You do not have an intellectual response to your critics. Your criticisms cannot withstand the rigors of intellectual inquiry. Your ideology cannot withstand the rigors of an intellectual inquiry. So guess what happens? So instead of someone saying, "Hey, well, I'm I, I don't really." believe what guys are saying i don't agree this is what i think blah 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 blah. and instead of being able to respond and defend your points you go on the attack because you have no defense because you are not intellectually equipped you have not done your research they have not studied so this woke generation doesn't have any real heroes and I looked at it. I said, let me look at it. I listened to the music. And I'm sounding like an old fart now. I know that old man not in my backyard. I'm sounding like a boomer. I'm not a boomer. Sorry. And if I was, so what? Because guess who the boomers gave us? The boomers gave us Dr. Gerald Horn. Okay, go look up Dr. Gerald Horn and see his intellectual prowess, prowess over there at University of Texas, all the books that he's written on settler colonialism, on Paul Robeson, on the elders, on I, I, go online and go listen to debates and listen to lectures by Dr. Gerald Horn and tell me what's wrong with being a boomer. Nothing's wrong with being a boomer in that regard. Am I right or wrong? You have Chris Hedges. He's a boomer. You know what I mean? Those guys are boomers. You got, I think, Chuck D from Public Enemy. You don't have a rapper today that is more intelligent and more intellectual and more morally sound than a Chuck D. 
You can have all the talent in the world, but there is no political rapper today that can stand up or stand to or withstand what Chuck D and Public Enemy went through in the 80s and 90s. Am I right or wrong? If anybody is uh, 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 familiar with hip-hop music, can you find me Chuck D's counterpart right now that's 30 and under? I'll wait. Can you find me the millennial counterpart to Chuck D, who's a boomer? You cannot. You can't. It's not Kendrick Lamar. Sorry. It's not J. Cole. Awesome artists. Nope. Nope. Go listen to Chuck D. Listen to his interviews. Go listen to Ice Cube, who is, I think, a Gen Xer or even a boomer himself, and a, a Gen Xer, a, a, a mid-Gen Xer, and, and ask me. Ask me again. Who is the Ice Cube counterpart? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You don't have that. So this is very interesting. So I started doing a timeline, people. And I started saying, I said, you know what? Let me um, let me um, uh, kind of give everyone a breakdown of when most of our giants were born of our um, of our uh, uh, of our American reality. These men who've changed the world. And I'll and I'll I'll, I'll mention the women at a, at another uh, date. Uh, I think the next episode. But let's take a um. Marcus Garvey. Anyone know Marcus Garvey? Marcus Garvey, born in Jamaica, came to the United States, had the United Negro Improvement Association, came up with the red, black, and green flag, which was supposed to be the African-American flag. When was Marcus Garvey born? He was born in 1887, part of the lost generation. That's what they called them. That was the generation before World War I, trying to figure out who they were, what they were, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. In any case, 1887, this man was born, came to the United States, telling black men to go back to Africa, black families to go back to Africa, went to Africa, spoke to African leaders and said, okay, Liberia is going to be the African-American capital. So created a cruise, created a line, the Black Star Line, not a cruise line, but a boat, a shipping company, all of this in the middle. Listen, America is 25 years removed from the abolition of American slavery when this man was born. Okay? And so about 30, 40 years after, about 40 plus years after the abolition of slavery, here this guy comes to the shores of the United States preaching blackness in one of the most bloody centuries in American history, the 20s, the 20s. He's here making moves, Marcus Garvey. As a matter of fact, the Garvey movement, as they call it, or the Garveyites or Garveyism, highly influenced who? Earl and Louise Little. Who are Earl and Louise Little? Earl and Louise Little or who? Uh, Malcolm X's parents. Oh, when was Malcolm X born? 1925, the silent generation. We all know his contribution. When was uh, MLK born? 1929, the silent generation. We all know what MLK did. When was Muhammad Ali born? 19, uh, I, can't, I think it was 23 or 28, the silent generation. All of these men, you have the lost generation that was born in the late 1800s. Then you have men like Neely Fuller, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Harry Belafonte, Martin Luther King. All of these men are born when? The silent generation. The giants of American political conversation. John Henry Clark, born during what? The greatest generation. Bobby Seale, Black Panther, born during what? 1936. 
the silent generation. And I'm going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So I said something to myself that was scary, provocative, but I felt it and I knew it. It's something that I've said in barbershops and I've said it to friends before, that black intellectualism in America or Africanized intellectualism, intellectualism that has a geo-African political leaning, peaked in the 60s and 70s. Peaked. And the men and women who brought that on were born in the 1920s, in the 1930s, and the 1940s. Some of them were born in the 1800s. So much of our Pan-Africanist leanings come from Marcus Garvey, who was born during the silent generation. I'm sorry, during the, uh, the lost generation between 1887 and uh, I think it's 1900. Okay, 1883 and, and the 1900s. And you have some people that were born. You have W.E.B. Du Bois and others that were born right around that time as well, maybe a little earlier. So what you have now in this country, in the United States in 2022, you don't have a Marcus Garvey. You don't have a Marcus Garvey. People are looking for what's new to latch on to, but you haven't even mastered and you haven't even resolved the issues that were brought up by your elders. What your elders brought up, you haven't figured out yet. Now you have black Afri African-Americans going back to quote unquote Ghana in the returning home sort of a, a, a repertoire or a, a dynamic that's, that's occurring right now in Ghana and things like that. We're talking about a man 100 years ago that was trying to do that. 100 years ago. Was trying to create a spiritual, financial, ideological, moral link between the Americans, the Africans in America, and the Africans in Africa. So there would be trade partners. People would be vacationing together. People going back and forth. Going to Africa like you go to Cancun. He was trying to do that then. We still aren't even close to that now. Most black people in America, their idea of visiting a brown country is going to Playa del Carmen or Mexico, maybe going on a cruise to Kingston or Mo Bay in Jamaica and then come right back to the United States, right? That's their idea. So there's no actual connection. So when I hear these BLMs, I go, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And I hear the conversation and how it's how it uh, and and how so many other different forces. So I'm speaking primarily now to the people out there that are quote unquote woke. The woke intersectional diversity inclusion equity, e equitable equality people. When I listen to your rhetoric and you're getting eviscerated by people on the right, Malcolm couldn't get evis eviscerated by people on the right. They may have they hated him because they can't, they couldn't out debate him. They couldn't they hated because they couldn't out-debate them. You guys are being out-debated, out-flanked, out-thought. You, you guys are losing people in your ranks. Why? Because, and then you're canceling people who disagree with you because your assertions and your ideology cannot withstand the rigors of intellectual or even ideological inquiry. And I was just looking at these, these dates where these great men were born. Bobby Seale, 1936. John Henry Clark, which is a, 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 a I'm heavily influenced by um, many of the things that John Henry Clark spoke about. Dr. John Henry Clark, born in 1915. Dr. Gerald Horn, 1949. Neely Fuller Jr., 1929. Marcus Garvey, 1887. Malcolm X, 1925. 
uh, MLK, 1929. Harry Belafonte was now 95 years old, 1927. All of these people. And then people of this generation that are kind of doing something. You, you look at, um, maybe you'll have the Glenn Greenwalds and people like that that'll be part of the Gen Xers. And then if you have a rapper that said anything that was worth listening to, it was probably Rakim, Common, or Nas, or KRS-One. And Nas is a, is a Gen Xer. He's 1972. Common is 19... I'm sorry, Nas is 1973. Common is 1972. Even if you listen to the music, I said something to a friend of mine. Actually, um, someone who's a little bit younger, because I go back with rap music. You know, I used to work in the entertainment industry, so I know hip-hop music pretty well, because not only did I work there... I was living that New York hip hop stuff, you know, rather than just listening to it. I experienced it and saw it grow, not in front of me, but I was in it while it was occurring. That's another life ago. I rarely speak about that life and maybe one day I will. But um, I was there when your favorite New York musician was doing whatever. I probably knew about it or knew someone who knew what was going on. So I'm, you know, me and this, uh, this uh friend of mine we're going back and forth he's a little younger than me because he loves like the new stuff and i said you know what i said hip-hop music peaked in the mid to late 90s there's an argument that the last great mc to come out of hip-hop music was eminem and his debut was 1998-1999 i said he's the only one who can qualify to be on hip-hop's mount rushmore so that means that's 22 years and some change, like 23 years where we don't have a hip hop artist that can actually compete for Mount Rushmore. Eminem is the latest and the last artist that's come out in hip hop music in 23 years. His debut was like 98, 99. It was a Slim Shady LP. I remember that LP very well. And, and that year, that 97 to about 99, a lot of great music came out. You had Most Def came out with Black, uh, uh, Black on both sides. You had, you had Dead Prez. You had Eminem, Slim Shady, and I think 99 or 2000, he dropped Marshall Mathers LP. So I even looked at the music and I said, yo, this generation doesn't even have, for the last 22 years, I've been listening to some pretty decent artists, some good guys, some really good guys, but none of them can compete to get on the Mount Rushmore. Not one of these artists I would put on hip hop's Mount Rushmore. None of them can remove a Jay-Z who's born in the 60s, a Nas who's born in the 70s, a Black Thought and an Eminem who's born in the 70s, a Most Def who's born in the 70s, a Red Man, a Pharaoh Manch, uh, a Cannabis, um, a Rakim, a Karis, one, all of them. You can't erase dudes who were born in the 60s and 70s. You can't. I mean, you can't replace them. You can't erase anyone, but you can't replace them and say, you know what this one is. You can't. And I thought to myself, wow. So let me get this straight. The music has peaked. The music peaked 20 plus years ago. And the intellect that brought us this music, because if you're, if you're a child of the 60s like a Chuck D., that means you are highly influenced by that civil rights move. As a matter of fact, Chuck D was a Black Panther. KRS-One is born in the 60s. So they're a child of a lot of these civil rights movements. These men were alive, were born when MLK was still alive. Think about that for a minute. Like Jay-Z was alive around the time that MLK was alive. You're born. You're still alive. You're part of that history. So, the, so these men are part of that. It's in their DNA to a certain degree. 
And I started looking around and I'm saying, I don't have any remnants of that in this generation. I can't see it. It's not there. It's not there. There is no remnant of that in this generation. And there can be some people who will listen to this and go, yo, June, it's by design because the man, you know, the devil wants you to do this and, you know, supremacy and blah, blah, blah. I don't, we're not going into that. I'm not going into the reasoning by or, or, the, or that theory. I'm going by the assertion that where is it? I don't care why it's like this right now. I'm telling you I'm, I'm, at the moment, that's not the conversation. The conversation is I'm trying to find those counterparts. Who's who's the new care Nas? Kanye, even Kanye's a, a Gen Xer. I'm talking about these under 30. If you're thir or 30 plus, but under 40, who is your genius? Who is the person that you would put as a counterpart, a scholar, an activist that you would put next to a Malcolm, a Martin, an author like a James Baldwin? Don't you dare say respectfully. Don't you dare say Ta-Nehisi Coates or someone like that. Don't do that. As a matter of fact, it's so interesting. Because since we're on the subject of Malcolm, and I know people are like, why is June bringing up Malcolm? Because Malcolm's one of my heroes, that's why. But there's a very interesting, um, I remember when um, I first read the autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley. Some call it a piece of flawed literature, etc., etc. But what it did for many, many um, black men in America before me that predate me, it gave them a sense of identity. They no longer were going to allow themselves to be identified by what the greater society identified them as. They weren't going to allow television to tell them who they are. Malcolm, what Malcolm did in very blunt and, and straightforward language was outline to them how they were lied to. Outline to them the tricks that are played on them when, they, when, 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 your, when your predator acts as if they are prey. When the perpetrator of crimes against you plays the victim and how this occurs all across the planet. So whether you were a black Brazilian, a black Brit, an African-American, a black Cuban, Afro-Cuban, no matter where you were, you were net, you were and you were a black man, a teenager, you were coming of age, no matter where you were in the world, if you were of African descent, when you read the autobiography of Malcolm X, you were fundamentally changed. Something shifted. And, every, and most people that read it, I would say most of the people that read it, they had that shift. I know I did. So another book came out. And it's funny because this book was, I would say, for, uh, I would say for this generation. And this book was in, released in 2011. It was a book by Manning Marable. And it was called Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention. And this book asserted that <clears throat> Malcolm X greatly exaggerated his criminal endeavors and he might have had a homosexual relationship and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if Malcolm X was alive today, he would be in the Obama administration. At that time, if you were going to write a black book during the Obama administration, you were going to write a political book and you wanted to be picked up by a major publisher, you kind of had to you kind of had to speak about the strife of African-American uh, 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 struggle and you had to cap it with the happy ending 
which is the 2008 election of Barack Obama. As if every single radical, every single black person that was fighting for freedom, justice, and equality would have had it, their dreams realized. Because Barack is in office, yay! And there was a great pushback about that from black intellectuals that said being absorbed into the Democratic Party is not success. That's not success to have, uh, to have our uh, uh, struggles and have our demands and have our agenda just being absorbed by a majoritatively white, rich elite, which is the Democratic Party. So you had the Michelle Alexander's book. You had other books come out that countered these so-called narratives of this, this uh, post-racial America, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember when this book came out, the Malcolm X, the life of reinvention. And this was for the woke generation. This was specifically for them. This was to create a more tempered version of the American black man. Because that other black man, and I think one of the editors or one of the um, publishers that published that book said that the Malcolm X of the autobiography of Malcolm X scared polite white society to death. Scare them. That Malcolm that was speaking in his black suit and his black tie and his black framed glasses scared them half to death. And the black men that came out of that movement were fundamentally changed. They were not violent men, but they were men that were not willing to turn other cheeks so he can give you another cheek to slap. Because it seems like when you turn the other cheek, that doctrine was only going to lead to more slapping. My right cheek gets slapped, my left cheek gets slapped, then my left butt cheek and my right butt cheek. And when you run out of cheeks on me, then you'll slap the cheeks of my children and my wife and my grandmother. And that's what Malcolm was teaching these men, that this country did not become this country by turning the other cheek. These states and these nations and these companies did not be, get to where they are by turning the other cheek. That scared, the, scared to death polite white society. And so now this book, right in the middle of Barack Obama's administration, this book was rushed to press and came out in 2011. I bought the book. I read the book and I returned the book because it was a piece of blasphemous work. Why? Because the person who wrote it, Dr. Manning Marable, who's not around anymore. So he didn't get to go on the lecture circuit because he died right before the publishing of the book. The book, this is a man who's leading, I think he was the head chair or the intellectual chair of the Columbia African-American Studies Department. So this is a professor. This is a doctor. This is a Ph.D. And you know what Ph.D.s do a lot of? They cite their books are filled with citations, notations, citations, notations up the wazoo. I mean, it goes on for pages. Sometimes there's more citations than actual narratives just to make sure that every single last thing they say can be what can withstand the rigors of intellectual and ideological inquiry. And guess what? There were rarely any citations, any notations in the book. This idea that Malcolm X had a homosexual relationship could not be substantiated. So it was a piece of slander to a certain degree because you didn't have anyone substantiated. It was just to make him absorbable to this new woke generation, to soften up the conversation a bit. This book. Meanwhile, Malcolm's book has been substantiated by the, the first book. Granted, it has its issues, the autobiography, but there are so many people who can attest to that Malcolm, 
who cannot attest to the new Malcolm that was proposed or, 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 or presented in the new book. And I use that as an example because of this new work, this new woke generation is sort of like that Manning Marable, A Life of Reinvention, Malcolm X book. It's a bastardization of what occurred 40, 50, 60 years ago by giants. So when you look to diminish a giant, you use what? Like we talked about, attacks. Attacks that cannot be substantiated. It's the same way with cancel culture. So it's interesting. Because Manning Marable is a an older guy you know he died i think he was probably a boomer he was probably born in the 40s but meanwhile that book wasn't for the boomers because the boomers weren't trying to hear that and if it was for the boomers it was for the polite white boomers but who it was for it was for this new woke generation to create a kinder gentler malcolm x that somehow would have been absorbed into the democratic party a mainstream malcolm is what i like to call him mainstream mal you know, not the mouth that said, forget those Democrats, forget those Republicans. The liberal is as deceit is the liberal is more deceitful than the, Repu than the than the conservative because the conservative tells you to your face. He doesn't want you around. And the liberal sort of finds a way to placate you and deceive you and get you into his or her good graces. Meanwhile, they don't love you. They're trying to placate you. They're trying to calm you down. And they're trying to tell you to go slow, just like um. Uh, when Nina Simone with the, her song Mississippi Goddamn, it said, everyone is telling me to go slow. Take my time. Take my time. No, change happens gradually. And it's like, no, no more time for going slow. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is because these founders of these movements, these movements that have popped up out of nowhere and they have YouTube channels, and they're yap, yap, yapping. And they're, they have T-shirts and Etsy stores and buy our stuff. And I'm listening to them. And they cannot hold a conversation to give me a clear, concise, coherent explanation of the way things are and how they want things to change. The Black Panthers gave me a 10-point program. They outlined 10 official points that needed to be addressed in the United States. They walked around with it and each and every Black Panther member, member memorized this 10 point. If I talk to a BLMer, I ask them, what's your 10 points? They don't have one. What's your doctrine? And I, and I know a couple of BLMers. A couple of them addressed me because years ago I did a segment. I, I recorded something and it got out to a couple of people who were BLMers. As a matter of fact, one of my cousins who was a BLMer sent it to one of her, I guess, the people that they, that's leading them. And that person said, uh, I'd like to talk to you. I said, no doubt. So they got on the phone with me and my cousin was in the room with them at the time. And um, we FaceTimed. Uh, and I was like, hey, what's up? They're like, hey, man, you know, we just wanted to talk because, you know, I found out through your cousin that, you know, you really think that we're, you know, not really blah, blah, blah. And I, and I outlined bung, 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 A through Z, alpha through Z, what was wrong with what they were doing. That person stood, stood there and was like, hmm, I, I see, had nothing, had they tried a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm not rewriting history when I say that. And I asked them, I said, listen. What's your 10-point program? Hmm? What's your 10-point program? They said, uh, we don't have one. I said, why not? So 
when someone comes up to you who who, who wants to uh, when you what's your recruiting tactics and tools? How do you recruit? And if someone who's a detractor who doesn't believe in anything that you're doing and you say if they come up to you and go, hey, listen, uh, what are you guys about? What are, what are you guys looking for? What do you say? They didn't have anything. I was like, oh, I said, how about you don't have anything like Neely Fuller? And he was like, who's Neely Fuller? I said, that's a problem. I said, you cannot. If, I said, if you're going to enter into something. You got to know who the progenitors are of. Of, of what it is that you're entering into because you are entering into a long tradition of activism in this country that goes back centuries but you only need to look at the last hundred years and see who the people were what they wrote what they said who were their elders who influenced them take a minute to study before you hit the streets so you can know why you're hitting the streets so you can know if hitting the streets is the actual most effective tactic for this particular situation and they were listening to me and I, there were a couple of people in the room and I said that's all I'm saying so my criticism doesn't come from I said I would love for you guys to have been the the nouveau the neo version of that movement of those movements a continuation of that movement that the baton has officially been passed to these capable youths who are hitting the streets and they are addressing the concerns of this generation because the concerns of this generation I said guess what it's the concerns of generations past none of those situations and none of those issues have been resolved none of them I said so that means that you can go back and look at the tactics of yesteryear and use them today you can use the same talking points, the same rhetoric, everything. You don't need to deviate. You don't need a new version. You just continue on with that version. And when I said that to them, they were like, wow. I said, that's why you guys keep getting killed on Twitter. You're getting killed in, on social media. When you guys do interviews, you guys are study, stuttering. Because those people have studied their masters of their rhetoric. They studied their side. When I went to martial arts school, that they weren't teaching me anything new. Martial arts is teaching me an old tradition. Old tradition. Boxing is an old tradition. They weren't teaching me anything new. They were teaching me the foundations of self-defense in martial arts. So I said, what is your, wh who, are you, who are your elders? I said, you guys are running around making things up as you go along. How are you going to get how are you going to change things if you don't even know how we got here? And you're just using little buzzwords, white supremacy or this, that and the third. But you don't have any sub substance. But the people that are your detractors that can pull your movements apart, they know their elders and they know your elders. They know the elders of their rhetoric that's in opposition to yours. And they know the rhetoric of the people that you should have been studying. So when I said that, it was very, very important. They were, they were like, oh, wow. Because I said, do you guys even know what, like, Neely Fuller's compensatory code is? And they were like, who's Neely Fuller? And I was like, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing more than a person from that silent generation that you guys should be paying attention to. And that's when I really realized. And I'm, I'm doing this episode specifically for a lot of the millennials and a lot of the people who want to be part of movements that may come upon this video later on in life. I mean, later on in the year or, or whatever. And if they, they're looking to see what changes need to be made and, and how effective are, are they going to be at making those changes, I'm going to, you know, and I'm hoping that a couple of the names that I mentioned 
a couple of the names that I mentioned, they go and write those down. And a couple of the older people, you know, boomers and such and such, or even younger, some of my Gen Xers and some of my millennials out there, you know, people in my group. Yeah, um, take a look. Go take a listen. Go, go, go read. Go look at the lectures from these people and see what they were talking about and, seeing, and see how relevant what they're saying and how effective what they're saying is more effective than all of the talking heads in their little boxes right now on your legacy media or on YouTube. People are sending me clips of these new fangled commentators on Instagram. And I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah. Like I said, I stand on the shoulders of giants. I'm not impressed with any of these new neo-scholars. I'm not impressed with any of these neo-activists, these nouveau activists. It's a bastardization. It's a deviation. I don't want to call it an abomination, but it's a waste. It's exhaustive to see that, they, that they're doing this, but I see how they've been co-opted and corrupted, and I see who founded them. I see where they get their monies from. So it's almost by design they're supposed to delegitimize themselves. I'll say that, and that's not some sort of hexagonal conspiracy, you know, but, you know, but what I will say is when I look at the names and I realize that how are how are um me how our activism dialect is 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 in the toilet it's descended into this very adolescent uh, uh, uh discourse where people get canceled and or canceling and not to say that that wouldn't have happened back in the days um if there was this sort of technology available but people were reading there was a there was a a, a um an onus being put, an emphasis on being knowledgeable. I mean, for God's sakes, Huey P. Newton went and got his law degree or something like that, a doctorate in teaching or sociology. I can't remember. Like, I mean, these men were learned, learned individuals. It wasn't just, okay, they knew, they, they knew their social politics. They knew their geopolitics. They were well-read on movements that were happening in the Soviet Union, movements that were happening in Europe movements that were happening in uh, Africa. They paid great attention and they knew the names. They knew exactly what was going on, you know? So when I look at these guys and I go, so where, where are we now? You know, like, where are we? You know, are we going to have another group of, uh, what do you call it, um, people or individuals like where's the jail scholar like soul dad brother like george jackson hmm where's he hmm because you have uh mumia mumia abu jamal how old is he now he's most likely a boomer he's probably older than a boomer i mean because he was he was locked up since the 80s and i think he was in his 20s at that time so he's probably maybe a little yeah he's he's probably a boomer in the boomer generation so that's probably this generation's version of a mumia but um, of a george jackson but at the same time um who's right now the men that are on death row that are in their 30s in their 20s and 30s where are they where are they speaking where, where is the jail movement for reform in this country especially with the explosion of the private prison industry that occurred mainly under uh, under uh william jefferson clinton 
Billy Clinton for short. Where, where, where are the jail activists speaking about that? Where are they? With this, I mean, you got, you got people who have cell phones in their prison cells right now who are taking pictures and, and dancing and rapping and they have cell phones being smuggled into prison. It's one of the most um, um, you know, valuable and most uh, lucrative contrabands in prison. It used to be cigarettes and, of course, drugs. But now the cell phone, oh, my goodness. The cell phone can go for up. Uh, an old flip phone from the early 2000s can run you five, $600 in jail. Dudes have cell phones and they're, and they're, and they're charging four or five bucks a minute. They're taking it back to those old school calling card days like yo i got a phone you need to make a call to somebody else five minutes gonna cost you like five dollars like what twenty dollars five minutes you be like what we, we talk yep five minute phone call and facetime's gonna cost you more oh i got video on mine Whoop. that's what's going on so there is direct communication with people behind the walls right now perfect time for people to have some sort of prison logic prison radio prison video where we're speaking to people behind the wall and what's going on with those people that will soon be home i know a lot of people are puritanical in nature and they think if you're behind the wall you deserve to be behind there and you deserve to be punished to the full extent of the law yeah but guess what if rehabilitation is what we're looking for those people are going to come out and if are they going to come out more hardened criminals because we didn't do anything but house them so how about we train them while they're behind that wall so when they come out looking for a job, they know how to do something besides saying, can I take your order? Respectfully to all the people working behind registers and, and, and drive through windows, but I'm just saying, how about we give them a certificate in something, auto repair, such and such, HVAC, engineering, something, if they have the, if they have the fortitude and the acumen for it, at least, right? So where's that conversation? It's nowhere. Nowhere, nowhere. I don't hear this conversation. No, as a matter of fact, that BLM movement, I have to point them out because they're the they're the uh, the vanguards of today's activism. There's 60 million dollars that's yet to be accounted for. Listen to this now. We're in America. The land of milk and honey and greenery. There's 60 million dollars worth of donations in the Black Lives Matter Fund. There have been multiple leaders that have stepped down because no one wants to claim the money the department of justice is saying hey who's going to claim this money because you have the mothers and the parents of slain black men where blm descended onto their town saying we need justice we need this and was allegedly collecting and up collecting in 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 bold letters and in quotes and air quotes they were collecting money for legal funds and this and for the families so the families can be okay and and pay for the legal funds so if the family wanted to sue the city the state the cop or whoever the precinct that you know committed these heinous crimes against their black babies and a lot of these parents are saying we ain't get any of that money they didn't cover our funeral costs they didn't cover this cover that our gofundmes took care of that people hit us up directly now, BLM has $60 million, if I may use my Dr. Evil voice from Austin Powers. Hmm? That's a nice piece of change. That makes you a political power. I've said it to people before. The reason why I knew BLM was a joke was because they were still around. <laughs> you notice Occupy isn't around anymore. 
You notice the Panthers aren't around anymore. You notice that Malcolm got shot and assassinated. Martin got shot and got assassinated. Medgar got assassinated. Nina Simone left the country. James Baldwin left the country. If you're allowed to exist in the zeitgeist, there's a very good chance that you are part of the problem. You're not the solution to the problem that you're speaking about. Just saying. Because like I told you, when you speak for the people, truthfully and authentically, your reward is incarceration, assassination, marginalization, ostracization, or exile. That's it. That's your reward. That's your reward. It's not monetary. Your reward isn't monetary. You, there's no such thing as a rich activist. I said it again. When you're truly working for the people and the people have selected you to speak on their behalf because you, because you epitomize what's righteous and what's pure about their movement, there's no such thing as a rich activist. I'm sorry. I don't care if they're actors, NBA stars. Actor, there's no such thing as a rich activist. You may partake in some activism, but your full-time job is being an entertainer or this, that, and the third. But if you are an activist for sure, if you are part of revolutionary movements on the ground where you're speaking truth to power and speaking truth about power to the powerless, you do not get rich. You cannot get rich. By design, it is an impossibility. You understand me? You don't get movie deals. Like, you don't get um, development deals with Netflix, like I think, uh, what's her name, did um, one of the founders of BLM. You're not, you, you don't get to own $3 million properties, $3 million worth of real estate, like one of the founders of BLM did. Remember, BLM is a for-profit corporation. It's not a, it's not a dot org. It is, it's not an, or, no, it is a 501c3. It's not, I'm sorry, it is not a 501c3. It is, an, it is a, a for-profit corporation. They can do with that money what they choose. So how is it that an activist is supposed to be fighting police corruption and police brutality and government and racism and this, that, and the third? Where'd you get three, four million dollars to buy real estate hmm? and come up with movie deals and book deals with the mainstream media? You don't get to be mainstream because you are lambasting all that is wrong with the mainstream. You are taking names, kicking behinds and taking names and calling out names. And you're calling the hypocrisy out by name. You are literally giving the people on the ground the names of the culprits of the situations that they're in. Educating them. As we know, in, in America, education doesn't pay. Hmm? You ever try to be a substitute teacher in this country? They pay you like 12 bucks an hour. As a matter of fact, the state that I'm currently in, when I looked at the website to see if I wanted to maybe help out some of these babies and speak, you know what I mean, speak to the babies, they were paying me uh, maybe one-fifth of what I would allow someone to pay me to look after children. One fourth, one fifth, 11 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour. Hmm? Doesn't pay to be a teacher. Doesn't pay to be an educator. Doesn't pay to be an activist. These jobs don't pay. It's a labor of love. It's a heartstring hustle. Okay? So when you see rich activists, run. Okay, like I said, if you're an entertainer and you've decided to take up a cause, that's different. That ain't your full time job. Hmm? Colin Kaepernick now has to be a full time activist. He had one stand and they took his job away, forced him to be a full time activist. That's not what he put in for. He didn't want to walk away from the NFL. As I've read, um, he's trying to get back into the NFL as we speak. 
You know, he's throwing passes again. I'm like, bro, it's over. I kneeled with you too. It's over, man. There's no coming back from that. It's 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 a done deal. It's finished, right? He didn't he didn't ask for that. He didn't ask to be a full-time activist. Harry Belafonte became a full-time activist. He gave up on Hollywood and singing. When you know what? When he had the money, you know he was giving that money to? Harry Belafonte was giving that money to the real activists to try to keep them afloat and try to pay their rent. Malcolm X and the Martin Luther Kings and, you know, trying to get people in the same room together and, 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 and funding certain things. Okay, you need bail money? Okay, I got bail money. Who got locked up? Who's arrested? Who's this, that, and the third? That's the best thing that these rich entertainers can do. It's to, it's to pay for bail and legal money and pay the rent of a lot of these activists that are on the ground, which their job is to be out there for the people. Being there helping out poor people doesn't pay. Selling things to poor people, keeping people poor, there's a, there's a dollar to be earned in that or made in that. But helping, raising them up, educating them, that's a heartstring hustle, man. You don't get rich doing that. So when you see these people out there making money, Getting rich. Malcolm was practically penniless when he died. MLK as well. Medgar, they had a little house. He's, they didn't have any real money. That's because that's what's real activism. You don't acquire wealth being an activist for real in the purest sense of the. F so what you have right now, what, what was that girl's name? That, that woman's name was not name. Patrice Colors or something like that. I can't remember her name. Yeah, Patrice Cullors, what, $3 million or something like that worth of real estate? Hmm? Remember that? Like a millions of dollars. Like, wait, wait, where you get millions of dollars worth of real estate? Huh? Activists rent. Activists can barely afford a home. And activists, of, activists can barely afford homes in the neighborhoods that they're trying to save. Did you hear me? But yet you have millions of dollars of real estate. So I, when I said that, that's why I say people bastardization deviation these movements today these people today are not your giants of yesteryear this generation the millennials don't have any giants they don't have any giants they don't have any giants in their music in the way they're being entertained edutained advertained activist the way they're being activated to be activists, they have no giants. I am imploring and encouraging and suggesting to them that they look past this generation or even the generation before theirs. Because if you're a millennial or if you're a, uh, you know, in that uh, zenial category now, whatever, and you're coming of age, don't look, don't even look at my generation, the, 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 the older millennials or whatever. Don't even look at me. No, older millennials, Gen Xers. Nah. Go back further than that. Go back to the lost, the silent, the baby boomer generation. Go back to the people that were born in the 1880s and between 1901 and 1924, 1925 to 1945. Between those times, between 1925 and 1945, you get Bobby Seale of the Panthers, John Henry Clark. You get uh, 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 Malcolm, Martin, Muhammad Ali. What? <laughs> Between 1925 and 1945, you can rely on those giants to help you navigate what you are going through right now. The men and women that were born between 1925 and 1945 can help all of this woke, intersectionalized generation figure out everything else. Their rhetoric would be vastly different and it would be more effective.
and it would be able to mobilize and be able to say, okay, that's what worked. That's what doesn't work. This is how we're going to improve on what they what they failed on. This is what we're going to improve on their successes. And we're going to reverse some of the failures. And this is what we're going to do and create new counterpoints and narratives. Instead, it's a complete deviation, a bastardization. By design. By design, but I'm just saying, I hope they know that. You know what I mean? It's important that I put this episode out there for them. And, and it's also important for people out there to when they see me in the streets that they don't just automatically pull me in into some sort of hashtag rhetoric, which I want no part of. No part of. Zero. <laughs> Can't get, you can't get me in it because I can see straight through it because I spent so much of my youth studying movements of old. Studying counter-revolutionary tactics that was going on in the, in, 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 uh, 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 what do you call it, in the Caribbean and in the Americas. Studying Franz Fanon and people of that nature. Like there's no, there's no Franz Fanon in this generation. My God. Oh my gosh, what an amazing man. What, when was he born? Oh, I'm sorry, 1925. So between Franz Fanon and, and, and who was born, I think he was born in, uh, where was he born? Martinique, I think. Yeah, he was a Caribbean cat. Born in Martinique, went, studied in France, studied and, and, and fought gun in hand on behalf of the Algerians in North Africa against Charles de Gaulle, the French prime minister at the time. So all of these men and women, the giants. You want to go read something interesting? Go read Wretched of the Earth. Go read Wretched of the Earth. I'm speaking to the wokers right now. If you're, whether you're woke or not awake or you're asleep or you're half asleep or you're hibernating, whatever it is. Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth. Very interesting read. We don't, ha we don't have a Franz Fanon right now. We don't have a Franz Fanon right now. We don't. We, we don't have a Franz Fanon. That's a shame because we can use a Franz Fanon right now. But you know who we do have? We have a, a Michelle Alexander who wrote um, The New Jim Crow. Mass incarceration in the age of color blindness. When I know when she's born, 1967. What wrote an wrote an awesome book. She's 54 years old. So this is what I'm trying to. The people who cut through all the detritus, cut through the rhetoric, cut through the intersectionality, cut through the the woke dogmas, and get to the meat and potatoes of it are not of this generation. The people who can, because you know. Michelle Alexander, she's also a lawyer. I think she graduated from Stanford or something like that. I think she, I've, I've, you know, watched her on many panels and I've watched her, I don't know, you know, Wu-Tang sword her opponents uh, <laughs> of her rhetoric. <laughs> I've, I watched her and she's amazing. She's beautiful. She's articulate. She's driven. She's just, and she, you know, I read the book. I loved it. And, you know, and I heard her speak on it and I, I went to one of her lectures and I just sat there and I went, yeah. She's of the tradition. She cut through all the nonsense and she went right to it. When was she born? 1967. She's a boomer. Boomer Gen Xer. This is what I'm talking about, people. There is no Michelle Alexander right now. There isn't one. She's a Gen Xer. Okay? She's not a millennial. She's not of this. She's a 60s baby, a child of the 60s, born in the 60s, came of age in the 70s and 80s. And though that generation has a lot to offer. So if they want to look at the people who, who were born around that and came of age and wrote some things, but I would go further back, 1925 to 1945. Those are your giants. 
Those are your giants. If you want to, if you want to go back to Marcus, go back to Marcus Garvey, who is a lost generation, 1887. Go back to him if you need to. But, 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 but 1945, 1946—that's it. Those people, your giants. There's a lot of villains from that generation too. But the heroes cannot be. I mean, it, it, they can't be argued. And because this generation doesn't have any giants, your music isn't educating you. You may have some guys that sound educated, like you'll have a J. Cole and a Kendrick, but you're not getting any information. Like even Razkaz, an artist who was not known for being part of that sort of sort of a, a politically conscious hip-hop music, gave us a song called Nature of the Threat, which is about seven minutes long. He gave us that song. You can't get a Nature of the Threat from one of these MCs. They don't read enough and they don't read enough from things that go way, way back before their time. They're not reading things from hundreds of years ago. They're reading pseudoscience and pseudo history and history that just fits their agendas so they can put it in a song maybe. But it's not illuminating. Remember what I said this show was supposed to do? It's supposed to educate, illuminate, enlighten, hopefully improve. When I listen to a lot of these new guys, I'm, not, you know, I'm entertained, but I'm not educated, illuminated, enlightened. And, I, and that was part of my upbringing. So because of that, when I'm listening to some new music, I need to be edutained a bit. So when I'm listening, even though it could be the most violent, it could have some vile rhetoric or some, some things that people may consider vile or provocative, that's fine. But if, you know, for you to capture me, I need to hear those nuggets where it's maybe even above my IQ that forces me to go, wow, what the heck are they talking about? Damn, I, I don't even know what that is. Wow, what is that? That's what drew me to certain musics to begin with. And you can't even get that. It's like I said, you can't even get an, a hip-hop artist that had a debut after the year 2000. None of them were on hip-hop's Mount Rushmore. If your debut was after 2000, you're not one of the greatest of all time. You're not a goat. Nobody mentioned Drake or Lil Wayne to me. Stop it. And Lil Wayne is a 90s baby, but, you know, but in any case. But if so, if your debut was the only artist I could say is possibly could be on a list like that is maybe Lupe Fiasco, who came out in 06. <clears throat> maybe I think it was 06, 07. I would maybe say, you know what? No, let, 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 let's 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 talk about we can have a Lupe conversation. We can we can start to converse about it. But all of these other guys, 20 plus years of music and it peaked 20 plus years ago. At least, I'm sorry, it, it peaked 23 years ago. Let's just call it what it is. So we have an entertainment industry that I feel has peaked 23 years ago. Then you have an intellectual class that, pro that peaked way before that. That the intellectuals, um, granted you still have a Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford died last year. He was uh, part of the... Uh, uh, he owned, he had a, he was co-director, I think, or co-publisher of the Black Agenda Report, which was an awesome website. I, I used to, I love his lectures, Glenn Ford. If you watch him, he's not the country singer, Glenn Ford. He's a light-skinned black dude with a ponytail. He's awesome. He passed away last year. I don't know. Rest in peace. But Glenn Ford, older gentleman. Okay, he's most likely uh, an older boomer because I think he's probably in his 70s, you know? So, um... Uh, so with that, I think we need to have another kind of conversation. As a matter of fact, I just happened to take a look at Glenn Ford's birthday, 1949. Okay. Boomer, <laughs> early boomer, 
1949. He's born one day after me. I'm, I'm a November 4th baby. He's a November 5th baby. That's how I remember him. You know, he's a baby boomer. Okay? So this is what I'm talking about, people. You got reporters. I can't, I can't find a black journalist in, in, of this generation that is in the, in the tradition of a Glenn Ford. I can't find a writer that's in the, in the, in the tradition of a James Baldwin Huh? I, I, or 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 a psychi or, or revolutionary like a Franz Fanon, who was an intellectual, who was a psychiatrist as well as a soldier, and spoke about revolutionary psychiatric rhetoric between the colonized and the colonizer, how the oppressor and the oppressed have certain psychological traumas, and he and and he and the way he outlined it in his eloquence. I can't find a Malcolm. These men died forty, fifty years ago. So if the if the if the music died 23 years ago and the intellect died like 50 years ago or the people that created this mu the, the, the intellect were born 60 70 years ago 70 plus 80 90 years ago what's that saying where are we headed that's the ultimate question where are we headed i don't know but what i would like now with this because i have not heard anyone speak about this in the way that i'm speaking about it, and that's the reason why i'm speaking about it if it was already done, I wouldn't be speaking about it this way. But I was like, wait a minute, it's peaked. There are no, and so when I see these youngins grabbing on and grasping to all these little movements, it's the same as grasping at straws or grasping at a weak branch. A weak branch, a branch that's rotted, as opposed to looking at the roots and finding the strongest branch and, and the originate and the original roots and the strongest branch and these strongest branches, you got to go back. You have to go way back, back into time and study before you say anything, before you think anything, before you react and respond to anything. You have to research before you react, before you respond. You need to research and then you need to reflect on what you have researched. And then maybe then you can start to react and respond, but start reacting and responding to the things that you have researched, not to the current events. The, this generation is not equipped intellectually, emotionally. Look at the depression rates. Look at the suicide rates. Look at everything that's going on. Little kids mass shooting, wilding out in the streets. This generation is not psychologically, spiritually, intellectually equipped to deal with the situations and events that's going on in their lives right now. They're not. They're not. And everyone asks me, yo, June, what do we need to do with these babies? You got to read to them. You got to read to them. You have to read to them. Take that tablet out of their hands. If you're raising a, 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 a an identified African-American child in this country or, or one who is identified as an African-American child, whether they be male or female in this country, you got to go get you got to go get the 10 point program. You got to go get you got to get Shiraz Ali's books. You got to get How to Eat to Live by Elijah Muhammad. You got to stop playing games with these babies, man. Once you get past the ABCs, it's time to get it's, it's time to let them know what kind of war and what kind of fight that they're actually in because they're losing. <laughs> they're losing. You know, you have the lowest enrollments of black men. Men are dropping out of high school and college at alarming black men at, at alarming rates. Single parent households at 60, 70 percent right now in, 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 in black neighborhoods. Like, what are we talking about? 
There's no emphasis on family. There's no emphasis on nation building. There's no emphasis on any of that. Meanwhile, your new intersectional organizations are looking to dismantle the patriarchy of the nuclear family. Whoa. Family is nation building. Man, woman, and child. What we talking about here? Changing the game. Deviations and bastardizations. Like I said, I'll go to task with anyone who's part of these movements that are looking to deviate from the nuclear family. I'll go, listen. Listen, I'm, you know, I'm just an advocate for that, and that's just what it is. It's a tried and true way to build a nation and build stability. So I don't know what you're talking about. But this is what's happening when there's a bastardization and a deviation, okay, from actual best practices from the giants. So there are no giants now. There only, you know, there are no giants. So I'm hoping... <laughs> have a friend of mine he's going to hear this he's going to go wow because um he's a blmer and i tell him all the time hey do what you're gonna do bro you know because i don't tell him not to be i just say i wish you guys would do more research you guys spend so much time online you guys have so much information in your pockets i had to travel from queens sometimes all the way to harlem that's that's about an hour and a half to two hour train ride from where I lived in Queens, New York to Harlem, just to go to the Schomburg <clears throat> Library and get books. And then other times I was running into uh, uh, people who were selling books on the streets and sending me to different bookstores. This is before Google Maps, people. So I got to find the train. I'm getting lost and I'm asking people, Yo, you know which bookstore, such and such, blah, blah, blah. This is when pay phones were on the street. Nobody had a cell phone. I'm going to sound like an old head right now. Like, yeah, I remember back in the days when we used to just use Ravens from Game of Thrones to get messages across to people in other neighborhoods. That's what I sound like right now. I know. But this is not a cell phone era. So I had to go to be like, yo, where do I get this book? Oh, go to my friend's bookstore. It's in Brooklyn. You got to take the A to the E to the, the A to the C and then go over there and prospect. I'm like, all right, man, I'm in Queens. I got to go all the way to Brooklyn for this. And I don't know what part of Brooklyn I'm entering into. And sometimes you get out the train and as soon as you go above ground, dudes are looking at you in your face like, yeah, he's not from around here. And that could pose a problem if you're a two hour train ride from home. And th these are the things I did to get knowledgeable. I didn't have the I didn't have the 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 um, um, luxury of just putting it in a search bar in my house while laying in my bed and just putting on headphones and let some cat tell me about what's going on. What? Okay, let me YouTube such and such. Oh, yeah, big lecture. Now you get a two-hour symposium on it, all in your eardrums while you're playing video games. Must be nice, but yet you know nothing, respectfully. Because the reason why I'm saying you don't know anything is because I'm hearing this generation's woke crowd on Twitter, this woke generation on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and everywhere, they're getting eviscerated by the same talking points that the giants of the 60s already got through. So how are you being destroyed by talking points that have already been destroyed by the giants of yesteryear? If you did your research, you would have known if I'm going to enter into the fray as an intellectual, if I'm going to enter into the fray, I got to have my ducks in a row. And those people already had their ducks in a row. Where are you? Well, what are you doing? Hmm? Maybe you need to go back. And like I said, listen to people of the lost generation and the silent generation and the baby boomer generation and the early Gen Xers. And maybe then you'll have an idea of what's going on. Then you'll have an idea of what's going on.
but I don't know. So, you know, that's just my little two cents. I mean, what do I know? You know, what do I know? But, you know, maybe this will fall on their ears. I'm hoping it does. And like I said before, whose world is this two one at gmail.com. If anyone has any questions, concerns, counter arguments, congratulatory sentiments, business inquiries for collaborations, interviews as such or whatever, you can hit me up on whose world is this two one at gmail.com or hit me up on my uh, Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at whose world is this two zero two one. And on that note, until we meet again.